You're listening to Badass Lady Folk, a podcast about socially engaged women and non-binary femmes kicking buns big and small. I'm your host, Christine Sloan Stoddard. That intro music came from the song Talking Hands by Toxic Moxie. As I mentioned the last couple of episodes, this is a reboot of my Radio Free Brooklyn show, The Badass Lady Folk of Brooklyn. Now, Quail Bell Press and Productions is producing this podcast for and about incredible women and non-binary femmes from around the world, not just Brooklyn. This episode, my guest is poet, essayist, and artist, Kim Vodica. Welcome, Kim. Hi, Christine. <laughs> hey. All right, so a little bit of bio time. Kim is the spokesbitch of a degeneration, quote, end quote, and a poet, <laughs> writer, and collage artist. One of her taglines is NSFW for life. That's not safe for work for life if you're not on the internet. She's my press mate through Clash Books, which published her poetry title, The Elvis Machine. Clash Books published my book, Heaven is a Photograph, which you can find out more about in episode four of Badass Lady Folk, where I also interview two badass photographers in New York City. Um, episode four, find the link in the show notes. The Elvis Machine is a book of poems, quote, inspired by living, loving, and hate-fucking in Memphis, Tennessee, a city still kissed with the 1950s, end quote. Wow. Okay, we publish an excerpt at Quail Bell Magazine. I'll drop a link in the show notes for you. Uh, Kim is also the author of the books Psychic Privates, ooh, and Anesthesia <laughs> Balderdash, and the creator of a poetry comic book series, a chapbook of sound poems on vinyl, and an illustrated book of poetry. Over the past decade, she's toured the country, the whole USA, performing spoken word and musical accompaniment everywhere from bookstores to art galleries to pinup clubs and beyond. Her new book, Dear Ted, is forthcoming from Really Serious Lit. Okay, Kim, let's start with The Elvis Machine. The book, out, the book came out in 2020, a hell of a year to promote a new book. Uh, I yes. love the description of the Elvis machine. Do you want to talk about that at all? This whole like forge in a dumpster fire of toxic Elvises. <laughs> did you write the word? Did you, I mean, did you write the description for it or did Clash do it? I, I wrote the description for it and it was um, different versions of that description I had been sending out when I would send out um, either individual poems or the manuscript before I um, wound up placing it with Clash. It just as like a cover letter is really how that started. Um, and then like when I finally did sign with Clash, they liked it so much. They were like, we want to like just use this as a description. <laughs> um, and we cleaned it up maybe a bit, but, um, but yeah, I did write it. Um, sometimes I don't know what I'm even doing. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm it's so <laughs> fabulous. It, it goes on. These poems are pornographic, bad romances, psychedelic love dirges, and <laughs> threnities? Is yes. that the word? For sex, drugs, and rock and roll, they'll make you laugh off the pain as much as you'll cry, cringe, and feel exposed in this no boys allowed clubhouse of feminine rage and healing. Oh my gosh. So on that note, <laughs> would you have <laughs> a couple of poems from the books to give our listeners a taste? 
Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> Why not? <laughs> figure out. It's been a minute since I've read from this book. That was kind of fun. It's it's weird because like there's there are plenty of like funnier moments here in the book, mm -hmm. but then there's a lot of like really heavy yeah, stuff. So yeah. It's, like I'm always having to like make decisions about like do I want to like bum everyone out or like. <laughs> well, I, I definitely want to talk about the the mix of rage and humor later on. So whichever way you choose. Whichever poem, whichever mood, readers, you will be made well aware that it's not just one or the other. There's definitely both in this book. <laughs> okay, so I think I want to do something just like more fun and funny. Okay. So this is called Womaniacal Manimal Control. We were sent away to Camp Sincerity. That's when we got to thinking. Dump your boyfriend and be our girlfriend. Dump your boyfriend and join our cult. They all want to fuck you and badly. It's a pass fail on the insertion spectrum. Let us be your boyfriend. He's lying to you anyway. We know because he fucked us. You should be mad at him, not us. Let us be your boyfriend. We'll pick up the slacker's slack. We'll shower you in roses and French perfume. We'll paint your toenails and massage your feet afterwards. These are things I admittedly love. <laughs> Side note. <laughs> we'll teach you how to love yourself instead of being jealous. We'll teach you how to improve yourself instead of being jealous. We'll teach you how to feel unashamed. In the realm of pure fantasy, you'll know absolute freedom. How to fuck anything that moves and how to feel less guilt now. Our man-hating just makes the sex hotter, don't worry. If you swallow your pride, we'll swallow your cum. All we want is to be creatively desired. Tell us you love us, kiss us deeply, talk dirty to us, eat our pussies, laugh. You ask us to tell you what we want and we do, but you don't. To do so would be to undermine your power. All we offer you is paradise, but you won't accept it. To do so would be to undermine your power. Yet you somehow think you were the best we could do. <laughs> That's cute. Looks like someone took that, you're perfect just the way you are thing a little too far. Yet sometimes we just want to be pillow princesses. Can we be your pillow princesses? We'll queef out your cum and flush it down the toilet with our gel manicures after we harvest your orgasms. We were born with Stockholm syndrome and our birth certificates come with trigger warnings. We are walking, talking trigger warnings. Just look at the guns to our heads. 
mansplain our deaths, how we died of PMS. Gather around our coffins and talk about David Foster Wallace. We just can't resist that woke misogynist. Everything we know we learned from mansplaining. We had to fuck a lot of dudes to get this cool. But while you were busy playing with your dinglings, we started an entire revolution. While we were busy playing with your dinglings, we started an entire revolution. But we think you're so sexy when you admit you're wrong. Make us come with your mouth, then we'll talk. Do you hate us or do you just hate yourself? Look us dead in the pussy and tell us exactly what you have to say. Introduce us to our Eskimo sisters in your spank bank. We always send you far more heart eye emojis than you deserve, so you should at least text us back. On our tomb tombstones is written, he texted back. <laughs> Records are made to be broken. We'll repeat ourselves as many times as it takes. Break our hearts, please. We can't wait. And that's that one, Womaniacal Manimal Control. Woo! Uh, that one's one of my uh, favorites in the book and it's one of the funnest ones to read. Um, and you're also a really uh, great, reader of your work um, and that's one of my favorite like ways of relating to poetry is to like actually put it um, to the voice and read it out loud um, but that one I think lends itself well to being read aloud yeah for sure so what was your inspiration and process for writing the Elvis machine um well, this one kind of started out as just poems. Like, I don't always work from like an initial concept. So with my book that's coming out with really serious literature, Dear Ted, that is 100% like a conceptual book. Like, as in like, I had an idea and like rode the wave. This was more like I was just writing these poems for the Elvis machine um, before I even knew this was even gonna be a book. I just kind of had these poems and like, um, in the in the chronological order that I was writing them, they just seemed to kind of like make sense. Um, so after I wrote about seven or so, I wound up putting this out, which I don't know if, um, well, it is, it's in my bio. Wait, what are you so holding this, up? This is uh, a, a little chapbook called The Elvis Machine. Okay. Uh, Got it. And it's just the first seven poems in, um, in the full-length Elvis machine, but this, um, each poem is illustrated by a local Memphis artist. Ah, all right. So, so um, collage work, just for our listeners, could you describe the kind of artwork that's in this chapbook? Um, it's all across the board, really. So it's like, um, we have just some kind of like pencil charcoal types of drawings we have. Um, there's photography, this one's maybe a little hard to see, but um, there's photography, there's even like one is like an oil painting, I believe. Oh, neat. 
Yeah. And the layout's really, really beautiful. So yeah. I just, I have these poems um, and I kind of didn't really know um, exactly what I was going to do with them. Um, but I found out that this local group called the Artist Commons, mm. who um, they, they have actually kind of splintered off into different groups at this point. Um, but at the time they were like just a local artist collective and they were looking, um, they approached me with a business card after I did a performance at a little um, vintage shop down the street. And they were having an art opening like a couple doors down. It was like on an, like an art walk type of event um, night. And um, I thought they were looking for someone like to write in a more technical way for them. Like maybe they mm. needed someone to write press releases or like event descriptions or something. So I reached out based on this person giving me their card. Uh, and they were like, oh, actually, we're looking for like um, to put together like a zine of just like local art and writing and stuff. And we wanted to to know if you wanted to contribute something. And I was like, sure. So at the time I had um, the first seven poems of this, of the Elvis machine. And I was like, oh, I'll just send them all of them. And, they <laughs> can, and if they want something, they can take it. And they wrote back and they were like, you know, we like, we love this so much. We want to just put it out separately. And if you are into the idea, we were thinking of like assigning a different artist in our collective to illustrate each poem. And I was like, that was like, pretty much the coolest thing that had ever happened to me up to that point like I was just yeah, like, like why would you not be into that why would you be like uh no no thank you it was so cool <laughs> I was like super super flattered and I mean and I think the end result was just so beautiful too but yeah, I basically kept I kept writing poems um you know beyond the initial seven and realized like okay this is like full on a book and it's kind of like that thing where I don't know if uh, you ever work this way where like you're discovering what something is as you're working on it like yeah. it sort of reveals itself to you over time and like maybe because you're still like actually living whatever it is you're writing mm -hmm. that's very much the Elvis machine for me like I moved to Memphis um when I was in my Saturn return which um, I love astrology but your Saturn return astrologically is um a time in your life when basically um you get challenged um and like in my opinion, it kind of like, it's the stars showing you like how your life could be if you make some reforms you need to make. And like, and, and basically it's a time when like you get your ass handed to you and your Saturn return usually for most people happens around the time you're like 27, 28. Um, <laughs> anyway. time period, yeah. <laughs> well, there is actually a theory, um, a, a, some astrologers have a theory that a lot of uh, people who have joined the quote 27 club, like so famous yeah. people who have killed themselves at 27, um, that that has something to do with them being in their Saturn return, which I thought was fascinating. You know, mm. um, I, I'm not saying that that holds water necessarily, but it is interesting. Um, anyway, so let, it was a difficult time in my life is my point. Um, and I was having a lot of these uh, romantic experiences that were not working out to say the least, and I'm not gonna get too into that. Yeah, but um, yeah. I was in the process of like kind of discovering myself and my relationship to love, my relationship to sex, um, my relationship to even like polyamory and this and that in the context of being in a, like the Bible belt, this is where I am. <laughs> I'm in a, I'm in a large city, but we are in the Bible belt here right. in Memphis. And I personally love Memphis. It's, it's one of my favorite places I've ever been. I discovered it, um, 
quote discovered it uh maybe not the greatest word to use there i was first you (laughs) (laughs) i'm not columbus here (laughs) anyway um i was on tour and i did a performance here and i didn't know anything about memphis i didn't even know the, the elvis connection at that point you know like um and i just like adored it like i love it i think uh, some of the friendliest people I have ever met in my life are here in Memphis. So when I say that like this book is inspired by Memphis and it is, you know, often really kind of heavy and negative, it's it's really more just f- from a very personal perspective of like mm-hmm. dating here specifically. So like, I don't mean for that to like be an indictment of the city at large, right? Yeah. Um, no, the Elvis but- Machine is my nickname for the city of Memphis. Like I yeah. jokingly, with friends, even before the book, well before the book was a thing, we, we just would jokingly call Memphis the Elvis Machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's how the title came about. But yeah, I mean, when when I lived in Richmond, Virginia, there were, which is the beginning of the Bible Belt. <laughs> some yeah, some oh, people yeah. some people would say, oh yeah, but that's still that's Virginia. Is that is that the South still? What no? That's, that's a weird that's state. That is the Virginia is really yes. interesting. I drove <laughs> through it three times. I drove through both Virginias three times on this really weird tour I did. It's like in my bio it says toward the country because I literally have been coast to coast. Over yeah. Like, I, I've and been you have a lot so of places. Many videos online too from different Oh god, I'm scared to even know what's even there. <laughs> I don't right, like looking at videos of myself like at all. Like, ugh, it like makes me cringe. Like, oh, what did I finally you- got over like recordings, like audio recordings. Like, I can listen to my own voice, and I'm fine with that now. But like, oh, the video thing, I just still can't get used to. <laughs> okay, well, so Virginia is my home state, but you can also say whatever you want about it. So I'm curious. Oh, I thought it was wonderful. Actually, I I was really I had never been through there, and I I. Uh, what we did was we went from Memphis North, like to Chicago, Milwaukee. And then because I had an opportunity to open for the band Daikaiju. So they're this surf rock band that wears like these creepy, crazy masks while they perform. And they also set their instruments on fire. Like that's their big thing is like, it's all instrumental, but like at some point they whip out the freaking like, um, gosh, what am I trying to say? The, uh, the, the, Lighter, fu- know, lighter fluid, lighter oh, okay. fluid. <laughs> I was like, and I don't like, know instruments. <laughs> and I'm talking like on the guitars, on the drums, on the cymbals. And then like uh, at this particular show that I opened for, like at one point, people in the audience were holding all four members up and their equipment. Like they were like literally the show just w- went like airborne like the where like the crowd was just supporting them as like a a stage it was one of the craziest things i have ever seen and let's just say that i felt like i was like i don't i like i don't even know how i just had to perform before this like (laughs) was that in virginia where was that in richmond that was in Asheville. so that's okay okay. now went down to the virginias and then i actually did perform in west virginia in okay. um, Lewis in Lewisburg, so went back up through the Virginias and then uh, hit New York City. We did a performance at Burles. Um, yeah, yeah, I love Burles. Yeah, like uh, the people who run it are so so sweet. Jared um, and yeah. his wife. Yes, super, I cannot super remember sweet. the names. Uh, Jared, for sure, cannot remember his spouse's name, unfortunately. I can't either. I'm so, so sorry. Um, I, I don't believe I, I, I did get to meet her, but I did meet him. 
Um, and that was really, really fun. But yeah, anyway, and then I wound up going back through the Virginias <laughs> yet once again um, to come back because I am apparently so um, crazy that we drove from Philly to Memphis in one shot. Oh my gosh, um, you're brave. <laughs> no, so anyway, that was like the longest tangent ever, but I did um, feel like, gosh, I was like, uh, Virginia and West Virginia, I realize they're two different states. I'm just kind of grouping yeah, them yeah. in my mind because like, I don't really actually like understand the difference, like just culturally, because I wasn't like in either of them long enough to really feel that difference. But, yeah. um, but I, um, I really felt a good vibe from it. And like I, one of my biggest takeaways was like, I would love to come back here to do some, like, I would like to just like live in a cabin for like a month and just do some kind of retreat, like, you know, like that was my vibe. But anyway, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Tangent, I, I dig your home state. <laughs> there is the Virginia Center for the Arts, which offers residencies. A lot of people will apply for, the, for those residencies. No, but what I was going to say about Richmond and dating in Richmond is because it is a, a Southern part of, part of the South, there is this key expectation even now that you will be engaged and married by the time you're in your mid-20s. And it's- yeah. You'll join a church if you weren't already involved with one, uh, because at that point you'll have shaken off whatever little rebellious stage you were in. You're done with college. You're it's time to settle down now. <laughs> it was just a lot of pressure about that. I think I think that that is not specific to the South, but I think maybe it can be more pronounced here. I'm originally from South Louisiana and yeah. definitely come from a family where like i mean t like i'm 33 and like to this day like getting pressured like pretty regularly about like why i'm not married and whatever else yeah like, yeah well um, and that that is definitely something that like fueled this book you know right it's like this book is about romantic obsession really um yeah. and you know it's and it's about that pressure and the kinds of like fucked up situations like that can lead you into when you're just sort of like obsessively looking for the one. So that's like a thing, like a recurring theme through the book is this idea of the one, like your soul. Yeah. And like this kind of like really tumultuous uh, roller coaster journey for me. Like I would, I wouldn't say the book is like autobiographical mm -hmm. straight up, but I mean, much of it is based on real stuff and real real people that I was involved with like <laughs> I'm so glad I did not do this but at one point when I was like revising I was like tempted to change the names of each poem to the name of the person that they're about <laughs> <laughs> just that I was like that, I, maybe let's just not <laughs> <laughs> okay so I'm curious about the timeline when did the chap book come out and then when did you start submitting the manuscript how did you find out about clash books just yeah all of that <laughs> i moved to memphis in the summer of 2016 and i had already started writing the first couple of poems i was dating somebody who already lived here who and 
moved here for the relationship. So that's how I got to Memphis, which I think also speaks to the book. <laughs> moved here for love. And then I fell in love with the city itself and then had all sorts of romantic goings on um, in my early years here. And like, so this book is about a lot of that. But I, so I was already started, I already started the book before I even got here. Um, after I got here, I was working on it for, by the time I um, sent those first seven to the artist commons, I, let's see, I'd been here about a year. So I had those first seven within a year. Wow, you really just started moving and shaking in Memphis. <laughs> That's impressive. <laughs> yeah, and, and if, you know, um, I, I, a lot of people know my work for being um, long. <laughs> um, the poems are long. Um, so seven poems for me is like maybe like 40 pages. Yeah. And not saying that to brag because it annoys the shit out of a lot of people, but, but I don't know. What can I say? I like, I, whatever. I don't know how to edit, I guess. <laughs> um, okay. So the chat book came out around your year mark here. So, well, we started working on it. So the okay, chat book okay. did not actually come out until Valentine's Day of 20... 19. Yes, 2019. Oh, um, okay. So, because it was, it had to, they had to like uh, get a different artist, like I said, to like um, do a piece. So it took a, yeah. it took a minute to put together. Um, and they are not really a press. So that was like another thing. So they were kind of trying to navigate like releasing a book while not really being a publisher of books, right? right. They were more like a center where artists could go and use like equipment and materials for free. And they would also have like events and like gallery showings and this and that. So doing a book was not like a usual thing for them. Yeah. Um, so I really appreciate that. So they were, they were obviously very, um, accommodating for the sake of really loving the work. Um, so that didn't actually come out until early 2019. I finished the full length, finished writing it in the fall of 2018. And it was accepted by Clash in January of 2019. So shortly before I released the chat book. Oh, okay. Oh. That's why it's confusing because like with my previous book, Psychic Privates, um, there is also a chapbook version of that. So like it winds up being where like I have multiple books called the same thing, but they're not the same. <laughs> yeah, I was clicking through titles on your website and confusing myself and doubting myself as I often do. No, I, think, I think I'm just accidentally like confusing you, but... <laughs> Well, cause then there's the comic as well for Psychic Private. So there's the okay. comic version. There's also the, um, the vinyl, which yes, this is covered in genitals. Yeah. It is a collage for of listening. genitalia. And then the poems are the booklet. And then there's mm -hmm. the record and the record is sound poems. So it's me reading, but it's also music at the time, my boyfriend at the time in Louisiana, Randy Fauché, um, we collaborated on music um, to go with the spoken word. So anyway, point being that like, yes, yeah, so I, wind up, I have like three things called Psychic Privates uh, as a result. Okay, so <laughs> and two things called The Elvis Machine. But all this is out of print though. So like the, um, the illustrated book is out of print, sold out. The comic is out of print, sold out. Um, I do have a, a handful of the record left, but that is only, it's only available through me at this point. Um, so that's another thing about just the, the little um, uh, 
eponymous uh, little side project things is like they're always kind of limited edition. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so the timeline basically is Clash accepted the Elvis machine in January of 2019, and then we um, released it in July of 2020. Yeah, so speaking of Clash, their books always have really sexy covers, and that includes the cover for the Elvis machine. Can you describe the cover for listeners so that they are uh, encouraged to go actually look at the cover of the book as well as buy it? Sure. Um, so uh, Joel Amat Guell, trying my best there. I'm pretty sure that that's how I was told his name is pronounced. So he lives in Spain. And he's a graphic designer and he does a lot of clash books but so he did my book and one thing i'll just mention first of all is the size of the book is yeah. a perfect square so it's six and a half by six and a half inches and that was my idea because i had actually formatted the manuscript when i sent it to clash or before i sent it to clash like so that it would read um more lengthwise so i'm trying to paint that picture so my previous book, Psychic Privates, you see how it's more like, it is wider than it is long. So yeah, traditionally, you pick a book up off the shelf, it's going to be longer than it is wide. Right. So it's the opposite. And for some reason, I just like have a thing for that format. But I was like, man, a square might be nice instead of like a more rectangular shape. So since I had already basically formatted the manuscript that way, they were like, yeah, let's just do that. And um, Ingram had the six and a half by six and a half size available. So that's always a big, you have to make sure the printer can even like do it. Right. Um, so they do it. So, um, so the shape of the book says a lot about the art. So yeah. I had initially wanted like something a little more abstract. Um, and I told Joel, I was like, you know, I kind of want it to be like the poster for the Suspiria remake. There's, there are several, but um, the remake of the movie Suspiria has um, this one promo poster that's like really abstract and kind of bloody looking and really cool. And I was like, ooh, it's like really intense. But I was like, what if we had something like that that was like made by Mattel in the 50s? Like, so just as like a general aesthetic, I told him that. And he was like, well, what if I made the book look like, like a Barbie box? you know? So I was like, oh, okay, well, that's, that's a little bit more straightforward than what I was going for, but like, sure, like, just give it a whirl. So um, he came back with a version of it, and I was like, wow, like, it's pretty impressive. It's really just very interesting. So like, the edge, the edges um, of the book are like the, um, made to look like the pink Barbie box that you would go to the store and buy a, a Barbie in. And then it's got even like, it's detailed to the point where like it has like the um, highlighting of the plastic like covering that would be over the Barbie. Yeah. And then there's the Barbie itself in the box and then all the accessories. And, and another wonderful detail is like the little like, um, I don't know what to call it. The twist the things, ties. The little twist tie things that would hold the accessories and the Barbie in place. Like that's even included in the design. So just really kind of amazing details here. So the first version looked different than this. Um, the accessories were different and the Barbie looked different. And I was like, what if you made the Barbie to kind of look like me? 
I love that. <laughs> so he gave the Barbie my hair. And then I was like, I definitely want like a black moto leather jacket because that's kind of a thing here in Memphis. Like everybody has like a black leather jacket. It's just like, it's a thing. <laughs> um, and the Barbie has like mascara stains running down her face, like from crying, but also kind of like a little in a smeared lipstick, kind of demented looking kind of smile, blood all over her hands and chest. It's a big bloody machete right next to her. Also like, you know how like they stage the Barbie like in a scene, like yeah. the paper in the background in the box. So like, this is like a bathroom with like a toilet and a sink. <laughs> um, there's a bottle of champagne. There is the severed head of an Elvis impersonator um, <laughs> as an accessory. There is a double barrel shotgun as an accessory. There's a big giant purple dildo as an accessory a bottle of Chanel number no. five, except it says the Elvis machine on it. So like, uh, there's just all kinds of stuff going on. And like, um, all these accessories are references to like things in, in the poems in the book. Right. So it's a really um, pretty amazing cover. Yeah. And I, I don't know if I've ever actually admitted this, but I was maybe a little skeptical about the idea initially. But mm -hmm. when I saw it, I was like, you know, like this is so fucking cool. So yes, yeah, so the that's the journey of the cover and uh it really didn't take long at all. And he also uh did the the layout, but he he really just mimicked exactly how I had, you know, formatted the book, the manuscript. So, so did you He did a great the... job mimicking it, but that was my design. Anyway. Yeah, okay, so did you do the layout in a Word document or you use something else? I did. I don't I don't have design skills. I um I really don't have like I don't I've never considered myself to have much of like a visual sensibility. And I think maybe I, I kind of sell myself short there. But um I don't know. Yeah, your but, collages um, are amazing. Come on. <laughs> thank you. I mean we can and we can talk about that maybe in a minute because like I that kind of just started as me just joking around. But like um yeah, um, now I'm like, wait, I'm losing my train of thought. <laughs> no, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. So I just asked you to talk about the cover. You did great. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. So I, I, um, yeah, just in Microsoft Word, um, mm -hmm. just changed like the, the layout so that instead of being, um, portrait it was landscape and then I like took in the margins um, which I'll do that like when a book is like closer to being or really when it's finished manuscript mm -hmm. is finished and I'll kind of start playing around with the format like okay like how do I want that the book to actually look because that's like very extremely important to me I just said I don't have a visual sensibility but now I'm talking about how the actual visual look of not just the cover but the text is of is of dire importance to me and that's yeah. why I do this kind of sprawling thing often with the layout um I'm holding up the book for Christine I know the listeners won't <laughs> yeah, be able listeners, to oh that was this is me practicing book. This is me practicing lipstick kisses when I signed my pre-order copies. I used my personal copy as like the tester because I, I kissed oh. each, each of the 100 pre-orders that we sold, I kissed. Like I had to reapply lipstick for each one, kissed the title page and then signed my name next to it. So I used my book as the tester for the kisses. <laughs> so there are what, like three or four little lipstick prints there? <laughs> There's like, yeah, the, well, there's even more because like I wasn't applying it heavy enough for the first oh, okay. several. <laughs> then I finally figured out how much lipstick I needed to apply, as you can see right there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so um, I think that uh, there's a, and I, we, we said we weren't going to get too much into theory, but there is this um, piece of writing called Projective Verse by Charles Olson. And it's just basically an essay. It's like a short 
essay on poetics, but it's all about basically how the page is sort of like sheet music. Hmm. And that's how I see what I do is like the reason I might like put a poem, put stanzas and lines, like kind of space them out and use the entire page, like as opposed to just reading a poem that is left aligned, you know, 20, 30 lines, no other types of spaces. I think visually, I like the way it just looks, just purely from like just a spatial perspective, but I think it, it affects the way that you actually read it. It affects the way your eyes move when you're like looking at the page. And I think that that has an effect on the pace at which you read stuff. It has an effect on like how lines land, whether you read them silently or aloud. Um, yeah. So that's, that is um, just, a, just a note on the, uh, the, the visuals of the text for me. Yeah, no, that's important. So how did it feel to actually write these poems? Was it cathartic? Was it empowering? Was it something else? It felt great. Um, I, um, I'm someone who will work on like one poem for like, it depends, but like, I mean, some of these I, I worked on a poem for like six weeks, you know, um, Wow, just one poem. Um, and yes, they tend to be on the longer side. Um, so that is one of the reasons why they might take longer, but I think I also just, I don't know. I, I, I just spend a lot of time on them. So like, I, there were lots of nights when I was like, uh, I went through this phase where I was drinking like a bottle of champagne, um, followed by like a, a couple of beers or whatever. And like, I would just like write and like, <laughs> like work on whatever. Um, and so there were many nights where that was happening while I was writing this. And I always like, you know, um, return to stuff in a clear frame of mind. Um, I just sometimes do enjoy, um, you know, having some drinks and just seeing like how that kind of, or whatever other substance and just like <laughs> seeing how that maybe changes the process and what ideas that brings up. But when I actually craft something and perfect it, I mean, I, I, I'm always in a clear mind, just, yeah, just to, yeah. just to clarify there. Cause I don't, I really don't like, I don't want it to come across. Like I'm just like this drunk poet. Cause that's like not what's happening, but anyway, <laughs> but yes, there were many champagne nights. And I have to say that at the time I was listening to quite a bit of Lana Del Rey. Oh. Um, and a lot of just, uh, David Lynch, um, soundtracks and his just music that he makes separately mm -hmm. from his films. Um, and like, I listened to so much of that in the background while this was uh, being written um, over the, I mean, really it was about three or four years of yeah. that it took to write this book. Um, and I took my time for sure. I was not in a hurry. I didn't feel like, oh my God, I need to publish a book by X year. Like I didn't feel any of that pressure at all. It was more like when it's done, it's done. And that's, that's exactly how it felt for me. Like all of a sudden, one day it was just done. And I can't explain that. That's just how it, how it worked out. But the process itself was great. It was cathartic. It felt really good, like, and so rewarding to finish a piece, especially the ones that I've spent weeks working on, like to finally feel like, damn, okay, this fucking thing's finished. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's ready to go. And, um, and I had so many people at any given time I do, but like, um, especially through this book, like people who were kind of just sounding boards, like mm -hmm. um, I had a, partner that I won't even get into, but I had a person who was often here, a, a partner. Um, and I wouldn't say he was like a, a 
really literary minded person just in general, but he totally appreciated it. And that's all I, I really care about, you know, mm -hmm. um, totally just uh, was, was here for it, right? So he would just let me read all versions of everything. And I had other friends as well who like, I mean, and I'm just a person where like, if we hang out, and we're having a couple drinks. You're not getting out of here without hearing some poems. Like that's just that's just how it is with me, you know. So anyway, I had really good sounding boards for like um, being able to try the pieces out. And again, I can't stress enough how much like for the voice I am about this. Like if it does not read aloud well, like. I'm not interested. So like, it has to read aloud well for me. So I did a ton of that while working on this book. And, um, and that there's pretty much like no better feeling in the world to me than like finishing a piece and like reading it to someone for the first time out loud. It's like, that is like the, like the sweet spot for me. And so there was plenty of that going on uh, throughout the process. And then, yeah, just one day, one day it was done. <laughs> wow. All right. So we touched on the fact that you're from Louisiana originally. You traveled a lot as a touring spoken word artist. How would you describe Memphis to people who've never been there? Like me, I've been to Nashville. I've been to Knoxville. I've never been to Memphis. So what's it like? Memphis is um, extremely charming. It's very old world. So like many places, unfortunately, there is gentrification happening here, but perhaps maybe at a slower rate. And maybe I shouldn't say that so that you know, it doesn't, doesn't get worse. Um, there's tons <laughs> of like, it, I know, right? There's tons of historical buildings though, um, and um, really, really old and like like abandoned buildings even too, um, that have just, it looks like it's, it's like a time capsule. Like it's like stuff, there are certainly parts of the city that appear like unchanged for the past, you know, 75 years or even more. And that's like really beautiful. Um, there's so much like uh, beauty here. It's like the birthplace, not only of the blues, but also of rock and roll. So like country blues from the Delta, um, obviously all these musicians were from all these really small towns, especially in Mississippi and Louisiana and Tennessee and Arkansas. They would come to Memphis and play on Beale Street. That's why Beale Street is so, is famous. And it's like Bourbon Street in New Orleans. It's like, it's lost all of its like original, like allure and it's just, just a tourist trap now is, yeah and it doesn't yeah. it doesn't mean anything anymore but that is why it's famous so all these like country blues musicians would come here and play in the city um so but it's got this just amazing musical history and then you know you also have like Stax records you have sun records which is where elvis first ever recorded and, and you had an event you yeah, so, so Sun Studio is is still an active recording studio. I highly recommend the tour if you're ever here. Um, it's unbelievable. Again, a building that really has not been changed very much, like from its original state. The tour is very intimate, um, like it was probably even more so now because of the virus, um, but even before, maybe only about 10, 15 people on a tour. It's, it's, it's a guided tour led by, you know, I, I know I have like several friends who are tour guides there, but um, it's really, really amazing. Um, and yeah, so like they, you know, and like uh, 
there's the million dollar quartet who's that consists of Johnny Cash, Carl Perkins, Elvis, and Jerry Lee Lewis. And like, so there's just like all these, this amazing history there. And um, yes, it's still an active recording studio um, and mostly just people who live in Memphis use it. Um, but people do come and travel uh, and you have to work around the tours and stuff, obviously, because that's like a big priority for them. But I was like, yeah, I was like, you know, what if I did like a live stream poetry performance from Sun Studio because I was struggling because I, I, I do tour usually, you know, and I didn't get to tour this book because of the virus because um, I really love reading aloud means loving to do live performances. That's right. my, that's my thing. Um, so I was struggling to transition to the live stream format. Cause I was like, well, it doesn't feel the same. And like, I'm struggling to figure out how to translate what I do to this format. Like I want it to feel like, I want it to feel like it means something. Like I want it to feel like, like, like an event, you mm -hmm. know? So that's why I was like, man, let me just contact people I know at Sun. Um, and see like what, if that, if this is even a thing that could happen, because I had never seen anything live streamed from Sun at that point. Right. They have since done more events, but I might've been one of the first, if not the first. <laughs> but um, yeah, so long story short, I was like, well, yeah, like, so um, I think we got, I, I, I paid for like an hour of time, but like we wound up, um, they wound up being really accommodating because it, it did wind up taking a little bit longer than that. Um, and we recorded in Sun Studio, um, which is just unbelievable. It's like a dream come true with um, my collaborator, Ben Ricketts, who's an amazing local musician. And we had, I had a couple of friends um, film the show from a couple different angles uh, and live streamed it. So it was amazing. So we got to actually record using Sun's equipment, which includes like, the uh, machine that does tape delay, which is like characteristic of Sun. Like you can hear that kind of delay on the mic, like in a lot of like old Elvis and um, Johnny Cash recordings, like that slap back kind of delay. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that is like on my voice in the, and it, it was just, it was an incredible night. And then like after the stream, we like rolled the playback in the studio of, of the show. And like, it just like, that might have been like the like the coolest feeling moment for me for from 2020 because that was just like I just like kind of like couldn't even believe that I did that but yeah so I did I did record at Sun Studio with my book called The Elvis Machine which is a, a bit irreverent I guess but that's and that's to me that's a very good like encapsulation of like the spirit of Memphis is like it's it's a lot of hometowners here for sure, but it's a lot of outsiders like me, but who are very like welcomed in. Like people aren't really territorial here. Like in South Louisiana, where I'm from, people are more territorial, um, and I wouldn't say maybe quite as friendly toward <laughs> outsiders. Even some place, even a place like New Orleans, which is where I was born, is way more territorial than Memphis. And I love New Orleans, but Memphis is more like it's kind of like more kind of free and easy and like people like let you be you. Like that was one of the first things I noticed was like, I can go out to a show wearing like sunglasses at, I'm, 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 I'm gonna invoke that sunglasses at night song, which inadvertently, but like you can go out like looking like a little ridiculous. Like, okay, I'm gonna wear this big ass fur coat and like some sunglasses and like, feel like a fucking rock star and like nobody's gonna like give you side eye or be like who does she think she is like that's just like a thing 
you're allowed to do here is just kind of like live your full fantasy and be yourself, even though we still do have some of those like Bible Belt types of influences. So like there's this weird like kind of combination of kind of conservatism, but like live and let live. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's really kind of it's really kind of a mindfuck, but um, it's it's an, an amazing place with a rich history and again some of the absolute friendliest people I have ever met, um, and and I'm and I and I mean that and I've been a lot of places and I notice it when I leave when I leave and I go on tour I go back home to my hometown or wherever I feel the difference almost immediately like there is it it's just it is like a, just a noticeably very friendly city um with that's uh, wonderful amazing, amazing history and it's also very affordable to live here that's another amazing thing about it um it's a very poor city yeah um so there's that's why like the cost of living here is low so um but uh it's it's and it's very old school um in a charming way but in ways that can also be sort of frustrating <laughs> um socially and culturally and that has a lot to do with like something like the elvis machine where it's like okay well i can be myself here but like there's certain things that like i feel like are maybe not coming quite coming through you know or i still feel this pressure to be a woman in a certain type of way um and I, so there's there's you know it's a city with a lot of like darkness as well is what i would say so for, yeah. for all of its really good qualities, there is like an undercurrent of kind of bad stuff. I, I think you get that in a lot of places, though. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, it's difficult to be a woman anywhere. It's just different kinds yes. of difficult, <laughs> different yes. kinds of challenges <laughs> in different places. What I was going to say earlier when we were talking about some of the, the pressures to get married by a certain age, for instance, like in when I lived in the DC area and now that I'm in the New York City area, the pressure of course is still there. It's just that the timeline is different. That here it seems a lot more socially acceptable to get married when you're 35 and have your first child when you're 40 versus like I was saying about Richmond. Oh no. <laughs> oh, oh goodness. No, <laughs> no. 40. Oh no. You, you would be finished having children by that point. You would probably have children in high school at that point or possibly <laughs> right. <in> college. <laughs> well, that's very much, that's, that's more my hometown, which is Lafayette, Louisiana. Um, it's the heart of Cajun country actually. Um, so I'm half Cajun. But oh, wow. that's the case there more so than here. And so that's like a smaller community yeah. and the smaller minded thinking is very uh, alive and well there. And that's what I grew up with. And I um, have, will always have an affection for my hometown, but um, like I, I would never, ever live there ever again. Um, and for the reasons, for a lot of reasons, but for the reasons we're talking about, yeah, uh, it's just a lot of small thinking like that's nowhere near as bad here in Memphis like because Memphis yeah. is like an actual city it's a it's really a, a quite a large city um and uh with any like more populated place you inevitably usually have more progressive thinking even though it, it, it's an interesting city because like yeah like so it does have this kind of more forward thinking kind of side to it but then it's got this kind of bible belty conservative side so it's really it's kind of all over the place but yeah 
All right, so there's a lot of rage in the Elvis machine. <laughs> Speaking of things that are difficult and challenging, but you also have a lot of humor in the book. So how do both of these elements contribute to healing as much as storytelling or anything else? Why do you have rage and humor in this book? Well, I um, always say like, gotta laugh to keep from crying, you know? Um, and I'm just sort of like a jokester type of person just in general. Um, it's hard because like I often really would prefer to write stuff that's just more straight up comedy and I always have felt that like uh, I maybe need to just try to do like stand-up. Um, I've never quite had the cojones so to speak uh, but I it's something I really do want to do. Um, but I'm also like someone who kind of comes to poetry as like a way to kind of understand my feelings, no matter like what they are. And so as a result, you get some intense emotions, um, which, cause I think that I'm a bit of an intense person. Um, so I think that that's why the book is how it is. So there's like a lot of kind of like, I mean, for lack of a better term, like kind of sad girl stuff, but then there's like kind of, funny sarcastic stuff and like kind of trying to make light of these kind of heavier emotional situations but then there's also just space to just act to just feel those emotions for what they are without like you know um trying to make them into something else um so uh i don't know if that is really even totally answering the question yeah no but... it does it does well and also sometimes as we started to to talk about before we began recording it can be hard to talk about what you're writing what it means yeah uh, sometimes you just want to let the work speak for itself right okay so i do want to move on to labels though so totally contradicting what i just said i am curious if there are certain terms that you have found useful uh, and identified with for political reasons, for marketing reasons, for academic reasons, for any reason. Like, do you identify as a Southern poet? Do, I, do you identify wow. as a feminist poet? Do you, anything? Um, I, I definitely identify as a feminist poet. Um, I think that there is space built into my, I guess, brand of feminism, if you will, for like complicated, contradictory, even anti-feminist quote, quote, sentiments mm -hmm. as some might consider them. I don't know. Um, there is space to be a bad feminist here. There's a space <laughs> to be a good feminist, right? Like it, it, I feel like the book is just very honest about like, uh, you know, competition between women yeah. um you know it, it's it, like as much as it is honest about like really um and r building up women and kind of joining forces which is something that i on 100 really believe in um but i mean i think that there's always you know um you know we're, we're human you know yeah. like we're human we're competitive people you know and like i think that there is kind of this uh, element of like kind of comparing ourselves to each other and it's and, it, and it's bullshit you know and I, and I can even as I can acknowledge that stuff like that is just toxic garbage like I think that many of us do experience that so um I think yes I, I identify as a feminist but um I don't like put pressure on myself to be like a perfect model example of it 
Yeah, that's healthy. Okay, dear listeners, the Elvis Machine is also available as an audiobook from Clash Books, and there's an EP available on Bandcamp. I'm going to put links in the show notes. Kim, let's move on to your collages. How did you get into making collages? What is that all about? And could you describe some of them for our listeners? Yeah, sure. So, um, I started making collages with porn, um, like years and years and years ago, and I've never considered myself, um, a visual artist. And I, I don't remember exactly why I started wanting to do porn collages. I think I just thought it was funny. Um, and like, I went out to like a porn shop in Baton Rouge where I was living at the time and bought a bunch of magazines and was just like laughing, just cutting out, like, physically cutting out the genitals and whatever and just like putting together these kind of monstrous figures so like I have one that's like um I'm trying to remember like some of the earliest ones oh some of the earliest ones what I was actually doing was like juxtaposing um the women of porn with like fashion models like and like kind of joining their joining their bodies together in different kinds of like to where they were almost like wearing each other um and then I kind of just started making collages with like only porn and just creating these kind of like monstrous figures that like were genderless and whatever I just thought it was sort of funny for as a first measure but also kind of interesting just to see like um bodies like kind of um in different like unusual contexts and then like the cover for the psychic privates ep is just literally a collage of genitals and i mean there's maybe a couple other things thrown in there but um, (laughs) i just um so it's a product of me but basically just not being a mature person um (laughs) but um um, and and uh and just sort of thinking that that was um just amusing at the time and uh honestly kind of like weirdly stress relieving um to just yeah kind of because I can be you know I think maybe other people can relate other artists can relate to maybe like you have moments where you kind of like take yourself too seriously when you're and I think that's and I think that's just a product of really caring about what you do. Like you're, if you're really committed and really focused and ambitious, like you can, you have moments where like you can maybe take yourself too seriously. And I 100% get that way. So like doing the collages was like a thing where I was like, well, I don't have an, I don't have an ego here involved. Like this is not my usual medium. I don't have any like real aspirations of success with these collages. And it just felt like kind of, freeing to like just work on something creatively without having as much like attached to it so that's really kind of like that was like and I haven't I haven't made one in a while now but um that I think was subconsciously more why I was kind of turning to that for uh, for a moment in time there yeah that is very relatable i hope many of our listeners can relate to that i know i can just the idea of um taking yourself too seriously and wanting to put less pressure on yourself and try something that's a little bit different from your regular practice speaking of which okay yeah yeah no no go go what were you gonna say Oh, I was just going to say, I think a lot of people maybe do relate to that and maybe like don't even want to admit it, but I guess I'm not afraid to make myself look bad. (laughs) (laughs) It just makes you look human. (laughs) Okay. So you also- That's a relief. Uh Uh-huh. What? I said, well, that's a relief. 
Yeah, that is a relief. So you also <laughs> collaborated with the artist Egan to make a poetry comic book. What a fabulous idea. You did hold it up for me at one point. Uh, so that is a Psychic Privates poetry comic book. So could you talk about that project? What was that? Yeah, so uh, this came about in 2015, I believe, and I really liked Egan's work. So she um, is a comic artist and has like a whole series and uh, really just super, super talented artist. Um, and I really liked her work. And I was like, what if um, I just send you like one poem of mine and you just draw it as a comic? And it was, it was literally as simple as that. I sent her the poem and like within maybe a week or two, she like bounced this back to me and I was just like flabbergasted, like just like could not even believe. She just took it word for word and um, drew uh, these different frames uh, to kind of illustrate the, you know, sort of abstractly told story that's going on in the poem. Um, and there's these really kind of like psychedelic moments like for instance there's a part where uh the line is i am just a hole for your dick to get sick in and it's like a woman's face with an asshole for a mouth which also <laughs> calls to mind like maybe something i would do with a porn collage yeah. <laughs> like and this is a great example of just kind of bodies uh and body parts kind of just being everywhere and they're not supposed to be um and lots of just crazy sex stuff happening uh <laughs> but yeah so poetry comic and then i later learned that there is a press and uh, of course i'm forgetting the name of the press. Um, I can figure that out and get that to you later, but um, there, is a, there is a press that specifically does release poetry comics, oh. um, and which is really, really cool, but I, I didn't know about that at the time. Um, I didn't, I didn't, I had never seen a poetry comic whenever I did mine, um, and I had wanted it to be a series, ideally, where like we'd put out, you know, a new one every so often, and like, unfortunately, we only ever just did this one, which is now sold out. Um, but I mean, I'm not opposed to doing others in the future. Um, I would and potentially collaborating with uh, other artists. Um, uh, I do happen to know like a handful of uh, comic book artists, so it would be maybe interesting to try and um, maybe pick pick this project back up at some point. Yeah, for sure. Okay, we're going to be wrapping up in just a little bit. And I wanted to shift to your upcoming book, Dear Ted. Uh, in planning the episode, you said that this book is difficult to excerpt, it should be taken as a whole, but would you be open to first telling readers just a little bit about the book, what it is, and then possibly reading the table of contents aloud? Yeah, sure. So, so it's a book inspired by Ted Bundy, um, but it's not really about him. Um, it's not written from his voice or his perspective. It's important to note. Um, I started working on this before that Netflix docuseries came out, before the Netflix movie came out with Zac Efron, before the Amazon series came out, like for whatever <laughs> reason. And, and in fact, what the reason was that it was the um, 30th anniversary of his execution. I think that's why all of this was coming out in the same year time span, which was basically 2019. Mm -hmm. I started working on this in late 2018. Um, and it had nothing to do with 30th anniversary coming up. Like I, I, you know, it, um, 
it was un unrelated to all of this. Um, so um, there was, I saw a lot of backlash um, about the, at the Netflix docuseries in particular um, with people being upset for a variety of reasons, but like, why would you continue to give this monster of a man like a voice? So that's why I'm just trying to be clear that like the book in no way perpetuates like him or his voice. It's written um, exclusively from a uh, female perspective. It also isn't even really directly, um, I, I, I do say that it contains elements of true crime, but it's taken very loosely. There is, there is some information in the book that um, uh, evokes actual crime scene stuff, but not across the board. Um, like this Ted Bundy is not even necessarily Ted Bundy in a lot of mm. instances. Like he kind of is a stand in for like other types of monstrous men, monstrous men that I have known personally and perhaps not. Um, so it's a really, really, really intense book that um, really specifically kind of tackles like abuse and trauma and mm. was a way for me to process um, a lot of my personal experience with those things um, and it's uh, and it's an extremely <laughs> intense book that I wrote um, in just maybe nine months so for me that's like fast to write a book because we, we were just talking about how the Elvis machine took me like four or so years so it's for me to do to do a book in that time frame was it was like quite rapid um, and I I just kind of felt like uh, like obsessed with it. and that's like such a kind of amazing feeling if you can get there where like you just become completely absorbed in a project and you just completely give yourself to it that's how it felt like and people talk about being quote like married to their work that's like the first time I ever really felt like that sensation of like just I'm just like this is I'm obsessed with this like all I want to do is work on this book and it was a very therapeutic thing so there's a lot of like extremely violent um and uh very emotionally intense stuff um in the book um that was uh speaking of catharsis you know extremely so you know as a way of kind of like working through a lot of really kind of um, fucked up emotions um, from a personal perspective, but also otherwise. Um, so that's Dear Ted, and the entire book is ostensibly, yes, sort of like addressed to Ted Bundy or someone like him or others like him. Um, and like I said, yeah, written from exclusively female voices and perspectives, um, voices of survivors, voices of victims, um, etc. So um, yeah, so that's coming out with really serious literature um, next year. We don't have a, a release date, but we're thinking it's going to be uh, summer. Okay, cool. Could you read the table <laughs> of contents? Yeah, let me uh, see if I can find it. Uh, So, okay. All right, so how do you feel about love? And then, so that's like the, the, the um, sort of intro to the book. And then the first section is called Circle of Mania. 
and the poems there are called TWCW. That's a play on trigger warning, content warning. Um, you're asking people to feel sorry for you. That's taken from a quote from Elizabeth Kendall's book called um, The Phantom Prince. Um, Elizabeth Kendall was Ted Bundy's girlfriend during his killing spree. She was completely unaware of what was going on, but she wrote a book after the fact about how she had these suspicions and like to the point where like it was really just driving her nuts like because she was like really at, in moments like convinced that this person who at the time was like you know like obviously they didn't know it was him yet you know um but she it's it's a, it's a really really amazing amazing read but um there's a quote uh, where somebody told her like you're asking for people to feel sorry for you um, my God, people died. You're one of the lucky ones you lived. And I was struck by that. So that's the beginning of that poem. Uh, you're asking people to feel sorry for you. Um, corpses are people too. Emotional BDSM. Depth row. DSM 69. We think we know evil when we see it. That's also part of a quote from a movie about Ted Bundy. There's, there's like 12 to 15 movies about Ted Bundy, like, um, like dramas. Um, so there's doc, doc, uh, documentaries, obviously, but there's like these dramatizations of the Ted Bundy story, and I've seen all of them. Um, but that's in one of them at the very end of the movie, um, and it's from the perspective. So Anne Rule wound up writing a true crime book about Ted Bundy, and uh, there is a movie adaptation of it called The Stranger Beside Me. And she worked with him when he, they both worked at the same suicide hotline. Yes, Ted Bundy worked at a suicide hotline, which is a fucking mind fuck, right? Um, yeah, so at the end of the movie, there's like a quote from the book and it's like, we think we know evil when we see it, but we don't, it just exists and we don't know why, we don't know why. So I used that at the beginning of that poem. Um, and then the last poem in that section is called Mind Haunter which is a play on the show Mindhunter, which I'm obsessed with. Um, the next part of the book is called Circle of Shit. By the way, the circle of mania, circle of shit, circle of blood, all of that is a play on the movie Sallow by Pasolini, 120 Days of Sodom. It's uh, based on the Marquis de Sade book, 120 Days of Sodom. Um, and it's a really, uh, to say the least, intense movie. Uh, it's considered one of the most like extreme and controversial movies of all time. Um, and the three different parts of the movie are set up. Um, they're in Italian, but um, it's circle of mania, circle of shit, circle of blood, but the Italian uh, words for those things. So that's, <laughs> that's how I decided to format my book. Anyway, so circle of shit is uh, seven of cups, baby's first toilet of you, courtesy flush, baby's second toilet of you, and softer ending. And then Circle of Blood is time to start making Valentine's Day cards, Beautiful as the Chance Meeting, Limerence, The Scorpio, The Day the Clown Cried, Commissioned Portrait, Plaster Caster, and Poetic Justice. And then there is an outro called How Do You Feel About Love, just like the intro, which is called How Do You Feel About Love. So they kind of bookend the book. Wow, thank you. Well, on that note, that's all the time we have, folks. Thank you so much for listening to the Badass Lady Folk podcast. I'm your host, Christine Sloan Stoddard. You can find out more about me and about Quellbell Preston Productions in the show notes, where you will also find links to so many of the things that Kim has mentioned during this conversation. Find additional links in the show notes. Uh, relating to things in past episodes that were brought up this episode. Tune in next time. <laughs>